that uh, this Sunday, which is the uh, Sunday uh, after uh, Thanksgiving, is uh, the second sleepiest Sunday in this church. The first one being the one in the spring where we turn our clocks ahead and lose an hour of sleep. We're, we're pretty sleepy then. Um, but uh, what I notice about uh, folks that come on the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving is kind of quiet, kind of tired, thinking what just happened and what is about to happen, and um, kind of stuck in, in that moment. Um, today's the first Sunday in Advent. We're going to be talking and looking over the next uh, several uh, uh, Sundays uh, at the sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 3. We're going to take a break uh, from 1 Peter, and we're going to look uh, at a, a, a text uh, from Acts chapter 3 uh, that Peter preached uh, in, um, uh, at, right outside the, the temple there in Jerusalem. And so I'm going to read it to you uh, from Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. The text is in the bulletin. Uh, we're going to do some introductory work, then I'll put that text in context, and we're going to draw out two points uh, from it uh, this morning. So Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 26. This is God's Word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. This is, this is Peter speaking. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So one of the things that is so profound uh, about the nature of Advent is the beginning of the church calendar every year. And the thing that is so uh, powerful about it is, is it gives a structure and an opportunity for the people of God to cry out to God about what it is that they're longing, what it is their desires are. Because human beings, one of the things that is wonderful about the gospel, one of the things that's wonderful about what God says to us about the nature of human beings is that we are full of desire that we long for things, that we desire things, and that we re really are driven by the things that we desire, the stuff we want, right? Uh, and ironically, you know, it is funny to me that uh, during this season of the year, uh, advertising has really uh, kind of captured that, right? Because what they do is they make you think that you, that you really want these things. I mean, my favorite uh, commercial at some time this year, I'm sure you'll see it, is when the guy gets up on Christmas morning and he takes his wife outside and he shows her the Lexus that he bought her with the red ribbon on top. Now, that, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've seen some dumb things, but that one, that one is pretty dumb because I'm like, how, how could I do that and keep that a secret? Really, how could I do that and keep, beyond the fact that... Uh, well, it's just insane. Anyway, I just think those things are funny. And so what they do is they create these things. Or, or maybe you're the kind of person who thinks, you know what? Christmas can't be Christmas unless I have a boyfriend. Christmas can't be Christmas unless I have a girlfriend. 
Or because certainly what you see is, you know, the, the fact that, that what drives an awful lot of the marketing this time of year is just romance, right? And so if that doesn't describe where you are in your life right now, you may be thinking, wow, I really, um, what's in this for me? You see, the, the great thing about Advent is, is that it tells us that what we long for and the desire of our heart is for something that is bigger and better than the things that we think we long for. We think we long for companionship, and we do, but really what we long for uh, is not just for uh, companionship. We long for solid comfort, solid joy in the face of a world that's broken. Um, this, this week I was thinking about this, and... Uh, came across this description, spicy and sweet with hints of comfort and joy. Describes me, I think. Uh, um, and, and, and honestly, for most of us, as we approach Advent and Christmas, we think we'd settle for that. Just give me something that's spicy and sweet with hints of comfort and joy. This is a, a description of Starbucks Christmas blend in a red bag. And, um, but you know what? God's not having any of this. Uh, because you need something that's not spicy and sweet with hints of comfort and joy. So I thought about that. I thought, you know, so Starbucks must read the 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 uh, Christmas carol book, because that comfort and joy comes from a great Christmas carol. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Well, I got to tell you, there's plenty to dismay me. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power, to deliver us from the oppressor when we had chosen our own way and gone astray, when we had rebelled. And so, so the comfort and joy we're talking about here is not something that's sweet and spicy, but something that gets at, at, at uh, Satan's power to oppress sinners and gets at uh, the fact that we ourselves joined in on that going astray and more than willing, we're more than willing to depart. And yet what happens is, and the comfort and the joy and the blessing that we have comes to us precisely because God will not settle for spicy and sweet, but enters into our world fully, taking on our flesh and our mess uh, to redeem us. So, so the comfort and the joy that we long for, the comfort and the joy that we desire is something that is bigger and more profound and earthier and dirtier and messier than anything that we would ever seek to uh, construct on our own. Next, next slide, please, Megan. So I, I was thinking this week about this, and I came across a, um, uh, uh, what a friend of mine wrote after uh, he was on a sabbatical. And uh, he visited a lot of churches when he was uh, on sabbatical. And, and this, is, this is what he wrote about the churches that he visited. He said, thus, the churches I visited, I approached not just as an interested, detached observer, a professional clergyman, you know, like, let me go and see how the Episcopalians are doing it this week, and let me see how the, the Presbyterians are doing it this week. He says this, but just a dying man 
hoping to find some good news. He's, he's, as far as I know, he doesn't have any uh, terminal illness, but he, uh, um, I have the privilege every week of preaching to dying people. There's a room full of them here this morning. So just a dying man hoping to find some good news. The thing is, I'm a sinner, worse than you can really imagine. Down to the core, I'm a rebel, a son of Adam, filled with lusts and resentments, grudges and anxieties, fearing the world and not fearing God, loving what I shouldn't and hating the things I should love. I know all this about myself and I detest it. So maybe you know that about yourself. You don't detest it, you just suppress it. So what I've really been needing from all these preachers the last three months was to hear, yes, Christopher, that's his name, you are a wretched man, not worthy of God's grace, but the whole point of God's grace is that it's free, precisely for sinners not worthy. You see, in Advent, we see the determination of God to bless and bring comfort uh, to his people. And that's exactly what we're going to look at, and that's exactly the context that we're, that, that we're going to get at uh, over the next uh, several weeks, because that's what Peter is preaching uh, there in Acts. So I want to look each Sunday at, at this text that we've read today to draw out what God has for us in it. Uh, today we're going to look at what it means to bless uh, and for us to be blessed and what it means for someone, for God to raise up from, from someone from among us for us uh, to bless us. And then we'll look at that God is faithful, God is truthful, and God is full of good things for his people in the, in the next uh, weeks, right? So Advent is a time of waiting and longing. In this text, which is referring, Peter's quoting here in this text, a sermon preached by Moses tells us that what we are waiting for is blessing, for the Lord to come through and to, to bless his people. Now, that's interesting, this text that Peter's preaching, we don't have time to get into the full context of it today, but Peter and John one day are walking up to the temple. It's not been that long since Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. As they're going to the temple, there's a man laying there on the way who is, who's crippled, who cannot walk, who has been crippled since birth. And, and it's a strategic thing to do is to, to place yourself outside the temple as people who are going to do their religious duty, as people who are going to do to, to worship, they might see someone who is hurting, someone who needs mercy, and they might be merciful and give some money to him. And so the, the crippled man cries out uh, to Peter and to John as they go by for money. And what Peter says to him is, well, I don't have any money to give you, but what I have you, for you, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And, it, and he gets up and walks. And he clings to them, and he dances around, and he causes quite a stir. So Peter, knowing that he is going to have to address this and explain it, because he knows it's just a matter of time until the priests and the other people who run the temple come and arrest him. And so here he is. I mean, I, I get, you know, most often, you know, I, I preach occasionally to people who don't like me. Uh, but most often I preach to people who are just indifferent. I've never preached a sermon where I thought, oh, they're about to arrest me. They're about to put me in jail for this, right? These, these people might hate me. They might kill me, you know. Uh, 
Uh, I, I, it ain't gotten that bad. So, uh, so the, the, thing, the thing about it is, he, he stands up among them to give this explanation, and he quotes uh, this uh, text from, from De- Deuteronomy 18. And what he says is, is that we are waiting for God to bless his people, because that's where this text ends up, is that God would fulfill his promise in raising up a prophet who would bless his people. So this, go, go back. I don't, want, I don't want to forget anything. So, uh, yeah, I got it all. That's good. Thanks for paying attention, Megan. You're awesome. Okay. Uh, so, um, so God has this constant intention to bless his people. Now, I, want to, I just want to take a minute to answer the question of what does it mean to bless? Uh, because one of the things that happens to us is that's a word that we, that we just refer to a lot. Having just been in North Carolina, I heard the phrase, bless your heart, a bunch, right? And so, so, you know, if you're not from there, you may hear those words, bless your heart, and you may think, oh, that means, you know, something kind or gentle, but it doesn't. <laughs> if somebody comes up to you and says, why, well, bless your heart, that means your shoes are unfortunate, or your hair is unfortunate, or something about you is not quite right, typically. Typically, that's what it means. Now, occasionally someone will say, bless your heart, because they're like, oh, you sneezed on me, don't do that again, or, or something like that. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's not something that has the rich blessing and the rich understanding uh, that, this text, that this text has to us. To bless means to incur divine favor. What, what we, at the end of every service, I stand up in front of you and I hold my hand up to you and I say a benediction, I bless you, I remind you and I call on God to be faithful to his promise, to be favorable, to be favorable, to bless his people to be good to them, to bring to mind the, the gospel as they, as they interact with one another, to bring to mind Jesus Christ as they struggle and as they suffer, to bring to mind the rich promises of the word of God, to bring to mind the joy that is ours and sins forgiven, to bring to mind the righteousness that is ours in Christ. And so, so to bless is to bring about the very favor of God upon people, to say, listen, remember who you are. God is intentional in his, in his plan from uh, eternity past to draw a people to himself, to redeem them, to make them look like the image and, and shape them into the image of Jesus Christ and to bless them, to be good to them. Now, now, the thing about that is what happens to us is we hear that and we think, you know what, I'd rather that God promised me a better job or I'd rather God promised me a better spouse or I'd rather God promised me something like that when in fact what God promises and what he has been about from the very purpose, from the very beginning, is his purpose to bring about good and favor upon his people. And so what he is doing here, in, and, and Peter is proclaiming here in this text, is that he gets to us the comfort, the real comfort that we are craving, and it is, comes to us in and through this prophet, Jesus Christ, who God has promised through Moses to raise up. And so in this, we see the heart of God. His promise to Abraham, when he called Abraham to himself, was that he would, through Abraham, he would bless all uh, the people on the earth. That his promise that through him, God would bless all the peoples of the earth. Everyone is blessed in some way or another by the work and plan of God. Did you know that? 
The fact is, the, the fact is, simply because God has chosen a people for himself, because he has given them Jesus Christ, because he has blessed them with the gospel, everybody else on the planet gets blessed whether they believe it or not. Everybody else on the planet gets blessed whether they bow the knee or not. Everyone else on the planet gets blessed because God has intentionally worked and, and, and come near and blessed and redeemed a people for himself. The very fact that there's a gospel to preach, the very fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, uh, blesses uh, the whole world. Now, it's redemptive for his people only, but everyone gets blessed as a result of this. And so what you have to see here is how big the heart of God is uh, in this uh, as a result of what he's doing. So all of this thing in Advent, all of this coming of Christ, all of this is the fulfillment of God's promise and his intention to bless people. Second, next, next slide. So we get blessed by his teaching and the exercise of his prophetic calling, but we get blessed by more than that. We get blessed by more than that because as as Moses says, as Peter quotes, he is for us from among us, right? And that is so important for us to understand, right? Uh, in our flesh, he came into our world of sin. He came into solidarity with us. And that would be a great word to meditate on uh, over, uh, over this Advent period, that, that Jesus comes in solidarity with you, right? That that he identifies with you, that he is joined with you, and that you are joined with him. He lived a life of involvement. He lived where he could see human sin, hear human swearing and blasphemy, see human diseases and observe human mortality, poverty and squalor. His mission was fully incarnational because he taught us by coming alongside us. Uh, next slide, please, Megan. So temptation, rejection, misunderstanding, disdain, coldness, death, all of these things that are, that, that are a part of our world, he came and he took on himself because he identified himself with us. He is one of us, he is for us, and he was among us, right? Um, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed over the last 10 or 20 years, but uh, North Carolina, which is, which is where I'm from, used to be this quiet, sleepy, little kind of redneck state. Honestly, it was. I grew up there, I know. In the last 30 years, it's become quite cosmopolitan. It's a big deal, really big deal. And uh, giant buildings and, and the population is going up and lots of smart people and that kind of stuff. And uh, so we had the opportunity to go back uh, this week. And um, uh, sometimes I look around and I'm like, what is all this shiny stuff? <laughs> Who are all these smart people? And uh, because that's not the North Carolina I'm from or I'm in solidarity with. So on Wednesday, I had to make a last-minute purchase, and so I went to the store. Guy and I went to the store together, and as I was checking out, this guy's checking me out, and he looks at me, and he says, why, I've seen more hair on a piece of fat back than I see on your head. (laughs) 
And, I, and guys looking at me like, are you going to hit him? What are you, you going to do? And I'm like, no, I, I, I'm among my people. This, this feels like home to me. I, this actually is very warm and friendly. And, you know, I get that guy and he gets me and we're, you know, we're in solidarity in this thing. And he was like, I don't get it. And I said, that's because you're not from here. Um, some of you probably don't even know what fatback is. <laughs> and the idea that there could actually be some hair growing out of it probably makes you... But trust me, I have eaten fatback with hair growing out of it before, so I knew exactly what he was talking about. See, that's what we're getting at here, is it's so key for us, and it is the wonder of Advent and Christmas to see that our God comes among us. That God raises him up from among us so that he could be for us. Not just apart from us, but for us as he is with us, as he is in the midst of us, right? So the beauty of the incarnation is that we have to understand the earthiness of God in his determination to bless us. You see, what we see here is that when Jesus Christ comes into the world, he has a fully physical experience. It smells like manure around a manger. It sounds like people screaming and crying to be healed. It stinks of skin diseases that Jesus reaches out and touches. It sounds like nails being driven into hands. It sounds like the noise that a stone makes as it rolls over the entranceway to a tomb. If you long for something that's simply spicy and sweet with a hint of comfort and joy, you have no comfort and you have no joy. But if you have a savior from among you who is for you in solidarity with you in all of this, you have a gospel, you have redemption, you have comfort, and you have joy because at the darkest, hardest place, Jesus is with you. You see, you cannot bless if you're separate. You cannot bless unless you are connected to the one to whom you bless. Even if you bless someone simply by sending a check across overseas, there, there's still a connection. There's, there's still something that connects you with them. And so God demonstrates to us that blessing means he comes near and identifies with us. Secondly, our God raises up exactly what we need in Christ. Exactly what we need. We are dying people, and we need a living hope. And we have that in the one who came and lived and died and rose again for us. 
We have that in the one who took on flesh, who understands and knows what it's like to feel, who knows what it's like to have people misunderstand you, who knows what it's like to be disappointed uh, and to have people uh, be disappointed in you. There's no comfort um, in a false gospel. And sometimes we settle for that. We settle for something that is simply uh, a generic God who is generally favorable to his people. When the true gospel is the one, uh, the message of the prophet raised up by God from among us, uh, from us and for us, who lives our life, dies our death, and rises again for us, who lived in time and in space, who has a real redemption for real sinners, <laughs> for, for real needy people, for people who live and breathe and have desires and, and, and have nerve endings and have struggles and have disappointment and have diseases and, and have temptations. You see, the, the wonder of Advent, what we are crying out for is for this one to come and enter into this world and once and for all to take all of this brokenness and do away with it. And that's what we celebrate. And that's the comfort that we have that is solid underneath our feet. The Lord knows that you sin and that I sin, that I'm tempted, that I hurt, and that I long in for in this body, in this flesh, in, in this experience that I have now. And so because of that, he gives us something to smell and to eat and to drink, something to hold in our hands that is tangible, that we experience physically earth and here on this earth, uh, something that is tangible to show us and to remind us today of his gospel, of his good news and his great work on our behalf. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's uh, pray uh, this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.
Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. So the scriptures tell us, on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers. The gospel of God come down in the flesh, who lives and dies and rises again, uh, is not a theological fiction or a story that we tell one another to feel better. It is something that happened in time and in space. It is something that happened on this planet, uh, in the dirt and in the muck and in the joy uh, in the sadness, in the health, and the sickness that is human existence. And so Jesus Christ gives to his people something to eat, something to taste, something to smell, something to hold, to say, listen, every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I need a Savior who smells what I smell, who sees what I see, who feels what I feel, and who can only do for me what he can do, and that is redeem me. I have that in Jesus Christ. And so I come today to his table, and I take this cup, and I take this bread, and I eat it, and I drink it, and I say, Jesus Christ died for me, a sinner. And he comes again to bring his righteousness and his redemption to full fruition in my life and on this planet. I long for the death of Jesus Christ to have its full effect in my heart and soul. And I long for Jesus Christ to come and for his righteousness to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Maybe you don't long for that. Maybe you're here today because mama made you come. And you're here thinking, okay, what do I do now? Um, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't believe any of this. Well, I would say to you today uh, to read in the bulletin a guide uh, to prayer for those not taking part in the Lord's Supper because it would be better for you today to not participate, to say that you don't believe, that you don't want a part of the body and blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ if that is not what you want. You see, part of what the sacrament does for us is it gives us comfort, a comfort that is specific and real for a specific and real group of people because it says, declares to us that Jesus Christ, who was real and in the flesh, died for my sins, for the things, my rebellion, 
uh, and for the things that I have done in this body. And so as, as you come today, uh, the real comfort and the real joy that we have is not that this is some sort of religious crutch, but we have a living hope that this one who God raised up for us, from among us, who lived among us, who, wrote, who died and rose again, will come again to make this world and to make us right, redeemed, renewed, once and for all. So if you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other comfort, no other joy, really, except in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, he says, yet again, take and eat, proclaim the Lord's death, and the full assurance of the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of the redemption of the world. As the elders come forward this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice, that the bread on this side of uh, uh, the platform is bread that is gluten-free if you require that.